We've been talking over the last uh, couple of weeks about this idea of, of giving up, of surrendering to God the things in our lives, deep in our center of our lives that block us from the fullness of life as he wants us to have it and the fullness of living as he wants us to do it in front of one another and with one another. And uh, we've been thinking about all, all kinds of, of those deeper things that we surrender during the Lenten season, things like control and hurry and worry and anger and a variety of those deeper kinds of issues that, that stop us in life. And it's not until, in a sense, we surrender those things, name them, open ourselves up to God and ask for real help with those things that he can save us in, in the practical sense, that he can do that Hosanna work in us. And so we're going to think again today on one of those themes in our lives that is challenging for all of us. And as we prepare to do that, let me invite us to pray one more time. God, thank you so much for um, this season that we've been on, for the opportunity over these weeks to, to think together on, on those patterns and syndromes and issues that really unite us all. Thank you that you are a gracious God and that uh, you know us and you love us in spite of these things and you love us too much just to let us sit with these things. So do your good work afresh, we pray, uh, in us, in our hearts th this day. We pray in Christ's name, amen. A Frenchman by the name of Michel Letito likes to supplement his diet with iron. And by that, I don't mean he likes to take iron tablets with his morning vitamins. I mean, over the years, Michelle Letito has ground up and consumed a veritable buffet of metal products. Uh, 18 bicycles, uh, 15 shopping carts, seven televisions, two beds, a metal coffin, a washing machine, a cash register, a pair of skis, and many, many more items. Uh, Latito says that eating his first bicycle was the hardest part of this whole journey. He says, you know, metal is pretty tasteless, but rubber is awful. It's just terrible. Eating those first two tires was extremely difficult for me. But that act prepared Michel Letito for his largest meal to date, which was a Cessna 150. That's right, an airplane. 2,500 pounds of metal, plexiglass, vinyl, uh, rubber, and, and a whole lot more. Uh, all ground up, actually cut up into little two-inch squares uh, or about uh, the size of your thumbnail in some of these pieces, which he consumed at the rate of about two pounds a day. Now, you would think that, that given this diet plan that Michel Tatito, uh, Lotito would be a pretty heavy guy. But in actuality, he's a fairly svelte individual. And um, nonetheless, he suffers from what the, the Bible would call the, the condition of, of gluttony. And we have a tendency... To, to equate gluttony with um, obesity. Uh, we often, uh, we look at the, the flat-abbed uh, models and athletes, we see them as the perfect picture of health. They certainly don't have any serious issue with gluttony, 
But the reality is that the syndrome the Bible uses the word gluttony for is one that afflicts every one of us of all different kinds of body types. Uh, in fact, people who can look um, tremendously um, uh, well-toned could be struggling with it even more than somebody who's, uh, whose body type might not put them on the fashion uh, runway at all. In fact, the Bible says this to us, one of my favorite verses coming out of the prophet Samuel, he says that, that, that the Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. Man has this tendency to look at the outward appearance, but God is always looking at the heart. God is always aware of the condition of our heart. That is not to say that, that, that overeating isn't an issue for a, lo a lot of us. I, I, I read recently that something like 30% of us at any given time here in America are on a diet. You know, we are tuned into the fact that, that, we've, that we need to work on this particular issue. I'm on one now. Uh, every single year, Americans gain collectively 1.1 billion pounds, which is just like so far and away above any other nation in, in the world today. Over a lifetime, most of us individually spend the price of a Cessna 150 on, on foodstuffs that we don't really need or that aren't actually even that good for us. And, and, and we invest all of these material resources in procuring and taking in this stuff, the money for which could have probably been uh, wisely used uh, to care for the one in nine human beings, one in nine human beings that is starving to death, literally, uh, right now. Uh, overeating takes a tremendous toll on us, on our, on our own physical health, on our longevity, on our energy, our spirit, our relationships, as does, I might add, uh, smoking um, and uh, drinking and drugs and plenty of other much less visible patterns. In other words, there are a lot of us that have consumption issues that aren't really about food, they're about something else. It may be invisible to everybody else sitting around us, but it's an issue for us, which may be why St. Paul says even to, to skinny people, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You're not your own, you were bought at a price, Therefore, honor God. Honor God with your body. So what I'm trying to say to you is that if we focus only on this, on body type stuff, then we're gonna really miss out on the essence of this condition that the, the Bible calls gluttony, and we're gonna miss out on the opportunity to give it up to God in a way that could be transforming and helpful in all sorts of different ways. Uh, again, we have to remember, it's always our tendency to look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And, and, and gluttony, like all of the other uh, patterns or orientations that the Bible calls the deadly sins, um, gluttony is, is really fundamentally a heart condition, um, as are the other ones, for example. Lust, for example, is, is the heart disfigured by objectifying other people, by turning a unique, precious creature of God into, into an object for my 
desire or my pleasure. That disfigures my own heart when I do that. Wrath is the heart that is inflamed or sometimes frozen by unprocessed anger towards other people. Uh, Envy is the heart poisoned by resentful comparison with other people. Greed is the heart clogged by covetous discontent. And gluttony is the heart ruined by restless consumption. Think about that for just a moment. Gluttony is the heart ruined by a restless kind of consumption by this demand for more or for other than what we actually really need for uh, a good life. Now, the Bible talks about this topic in a whole variety of ways, but one of the most helpful images of it, I think, gets presented to us in the parable of Jesus known as the parable of the prodigal son. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of that one. Yeah, I bet you've never heard of it described in the way I'm about to, but I think it's really a helpful template for thinking about the way gluttony works. So the basic story, as most of us are well aware, is that you've got this this kid who's growing up in this household that's full of abundance. It's obviously a reasonably affluent kind of household. And yet this kid has got some restlessness in, in him that says that I would be even happier, I'd be even better off if I had more and if I had what was coming to me right now. If I had it faster, he was going to get a great inheritance He did not want to wait for his father to die, so he goes to his father and he says, I I would be much better off if you'd give me what is coming to me now. And the heart of the father is broken. He's just devastated, not only because the son is in effect wishing him dead, but because he knows that that this kid is not going to find his hunger satiated just by having more stuff faster. But the kid has got to learn this lesson for himself. And so he takes uh, his share of the estate before it was really due him, and he goes off, and he works his way down an incredible buffet of pleasures, wine, women, and song. He is the party king. And, and all kinds of people are rallying around him at this great feast, this movable feast that he's throwing with his money until the money runs out, and then his friends dispose of him. They spit him out. They were only there for what he could do for them. Uh, He was disposable, really, as a human being in their eyes. And he finds himself, as you recall, um, actually sitting in a pig pen. He he, he actually looks and sees the the swine slop uh, as desirable now uh, in his eyes to try and deal with the emptiness in his side, inside of him. This, this tremendous self-perpetuating emptiness. Now, I tell you that story because I think this is a pattern that is repeated uh, in a lot of places and with a lot of us over many, many years. Um, never has there been a nation like America, uh, in so many wonderful senses. But also, never has there been a nation that is so filled with abundance, uh, so richly blessed, but who consume and dispose of things 
more relentlessly than we do. I think, I think that's actually a pretty fair statement. There's never been a people who consume and dispose at, at the pace and level that we do. We gorge ourselves on an almost boundless um, parade, a buffet of products and powers and pleasures of various kinds. I remember entertaining somebody uh, from the Eastern Bloc uh, before the wall fell, and uh, she came with me, and we went into just a regular little grocery store. I'm not talking about Costco. I'm talking about a neighborhood garden variety little grocery store, and she broke down in sobbing tears when she saw just the produce that was available to us. And uh, she took a, a little cluster of bananas and she said, am I allowed to have this? And I said, you can have all of it. And she just couldn't believe uh, what, what we were offered. Uh, we have such abundance and we take so much of it and we have an appetite for new information and new technology and the latest funny video and then whatever it, the novelty, the novelty addiction we have is just something uh, famous around the world. We turn over our goods and we change our suppliers and we discard our leaders and we dispose of our, of our babies and our covenants and our elderly people faster than any nation on earth for all of our incredible strengths. The sheer volume of things that we throw away is legendary around planet Earth and is devastating to the environment this creation God has made like no other nation. And yet for all of this, this, this amazing gluttony, we are, uh, study after study confirms, the, the, the people who express the greatest sense of continuing emptiness. Have you been following the news lately and all the ranking of nations in terms of happiness, the happiness index? There was another program on this this very morning in terms of how happy children are. We're way down at the bottom of the list. How does this happen that we are able to consume so much and yet it never fills us? What is really going on here? Well, in our scripture passage for today, Luke chapter 19, um, we're told of, of the final days of Jesus. And, and in Luke 19, Jesus comes up over the brow of the hill of the Mount of Olives, and he stares down across the Kidron Valley, and he looks out, and he sees the magnificent city of Jerusalem spread out uh, in the sunlight before him. And the scripture says that as Jesus approached Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and he saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Within a few moments, the crowd was going to be welcoming him with loud hosannas. Uh, the, the, the huge crowd that was there uh, for the coming Passover feast was going to show up in the city to see the latest celebrity who was coming into town. They, they were incredibly excited. They, they were going to take off their coats. They were going to grab palm branches. They would strew them on the streets to provide a, a carpet of honor for the person they were pretty sure, at least had heard, was very possibly the Messiah King come to liberate Israel from the Romans. But Jesus knew that in about 10 minutes, they would grow tired of him. 
that he was just the, the latest dish in the boundless buffet that they were gonna to continue to move on. And they were, he was totally right about this. Within five days, they would chew Jesus up and then spit him out and demand something new, something else. Away with this man, they would say literally, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And so Jesus wept, saying, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. I wish you knew. I wish you knew what would bring you real peace, lasting peace, what would fill the emptiness. But now it's hidden from your eyes. As I've shared on, on other occasions, there, there are some things about us that are just hard to change. That's probably true of everybody here in this room. There are certain things about us that are really hard to change. And what makes them especially hard to change is because we don't see them. Sometimes the people next to us see them in technicolor about us, but we don't see them. Why is that? Because we're using them to see. We're seeing through this very condition. This is what sin is. It's a way of seeing that's occluded. It's distorted, disfigured. Uh, it's a way of thinking or feeling, of, of having a heart towards things that's, that's somehow gotten corrupted. Uh, many years ago, St. Augustine, uh, a, a bishop in, uh, in Africa, um, had an incredible insight into this. He said that what sets human beings apart from all other creatures is the presence within them of an infinite and boundless emptiness, a, a hunger that can only be satisfied by an equally infinite and boundless good. And to paraphrase the ethicist William May, until we until we see that, until we really get the reality of that gnawing emptiness that is such a driver in our lives, then we will continue to seek fulfillment in all kinds of different pleasures of the flesh and find they leave us still wanting something more. We will crave fulfillment in compliments and prestige. How many of us have done this, right? We've done it, we've, we've made the presentation, we've made the beautiful meal, we've, uh, we've, we've performed in some way and just hoped somebody would say, oh, that was wonderful. And then they do say, oh, that was wonderful and we feel like they've sort of not quite said enough. And we wish they would say more. And we seek satisfaction in, in, in a succession of, of friends and we find that they disappoint us eventually. We search for excitement and all kinds of entertainments, but their glory will soon pass. Watch how fast, I, as a dad, I used to be amazed at how fast my kids got tired of the Christmas presents. How quickly they went on to the next one. Um, and we all do this. We, we're all on this relentless consumption journey. We, 
We set for ourselves even these high goals, these great ambitions, and we get to those places of achievement and we go, isn't there more? Is this all there is? We devour the whole bag of chips, literally and euphemistically, and, and what do we want? More. Just one more. And, and I think what, what's going on is something that's very ancient in human beings. I think what America, uh, America and each of us has to come to realize is that our insatiable hunger is a vestigial appetite. You know that word vestigial? It means leftover. It means kind of primordial or primary. It's a vestigial appetite. Uh, it, 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 it's like the, the man or the woman who, is in, who reaches out in bed for the spouse that's now gone. It's like the person who's had the, the, the limb amputated and, and keeps trying to scratch it. It's, it's, it's this, this prior orientation, this restless, ravenous desire that we have for the next satisfaction is really the vestige of the hunger we have for the very infinite and boundless good God that once filled up human beings. It's an ancient memory. It's a missing of he who once filled us up. I love the way Augustine put it. He said, I strayed too far from thy sustaining power, God, and I became to myself a barren land. I went licking after shadows. Oh, food and bread of angels, he writes. He's praying to Christ. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. Say that with me. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. Many years before the prophet Isaiah looked around at the nation of Israel, uh, he diagnosed a similar condition uh, going on in his nation's life, and he said this, why do we spend money on what is not bread and our labor on what does not satisfy? Why do we do this? Listen to me. Listen and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. I want to encourage all of us as we prepare to go today to really ask ourselves this question. Is there a possibility that I am spending my energies or my resources munching on metal? or in a mania over some other material thing that really doesn't have the power to fill me up in the way I need filling up. Um, what is that about for me is what I, we need to wrestle with. What's that about for me? You know, I would say that my own restless consumption of affirmation is something I have to look at. What is that about for me? I, when I really think about it, I know what it's about. It's a, it's a father issue for me. And it's, it's, my, it's not my dad's issue. It's me. It, it's something I have to work with. 
in life. I have to open up, to, I have to give up to God. What is it for you? What's the mania? What's the place of restless consumption for you in your life? What's that about? Can you give it up to God? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread you need. And whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. My love is the succulent meat of the fatted calf cut in dripping slabs for all of you prodigals who will come home, Jesus says. My love is the Passover rack of lamb just waiting for you on the banquet table. My love is the manna in your wilderness. My love is the banquet table of the king. It's the warm bread of communion, which alone can fill you to all of the measure of the fullness of God. That's what I want for you, that you be filled up to all of the measure of the fullness of God so that you're in a position now to just share with others from the rich abundance of fullness of my love inside of you. That's... That's his ambition for us. A Puritan once sat down to a, to a very rude blank table. It had upon it just a simple plate of, of communion bread and a little cup of communion wine. And he looked at it and he stepped back and he said, what? All this and Jesus too. Wow. How do we get there? How do we get to that place, that sense of internal fullness and abundance? Well, I want to suggest to you as we go out a really simple recipe for giving up gluttony. So just a couple of practical ideas. And if you're a note taker, take notes on this because this is the practical part. This is, what, why, this is the takeaway. Um, first, come home to the Father if you haven't. No matter how far away you've strayed from him, no matter how many mistakes you have made, no matter how long you may have been just hanging around, just outside the house, peering in at the edges, he's never stopped loving you. He's never stopped longing to have you back at the table with him. Come home. Come home today. And, and rediscover just how beloved you are in his eyes and let him be the love that's the fatted calf for you that fills you up secondly receive the lamb of god sacrificed for you jesus made the choice to put his body on a cross to pour out his blood to give it all up for you he's crazy about you he did that for you. He did that to free you from the power of sin in your life, from all of the compulsivity and the mania that drives you to try and prove your worth or your well-being in any other way than by looking into his face on the cross and discovering how worthy you are because he loves you like that. Receive that lamb sacrifice for you and know you are free to do it differently from now on. You are free to go and live in a, in a much healthier, much more creative way because of what he did on that cross. Thirdly, feed on the manna of God every day. Feed on the bread of God every single day. We touched on this last week when we talked about the importance of praying. That prayer of Jesus, give us this day our daily bread. 
The big idea there, as you may recall, was you got to do it daily. You've got, to, you've got to go before him, find some time to read his word, to pray, to be in silence before his holiness and beauty and goodness. You, you can't store that up. It, it doesn't last for more than a day. You can't think, well, I, I showed up on Sunday. I'll be good for a week. No, what's going to happen? You'll get hungry. You will snack. You will binge even on stuff, on this relentless consumer buffet that can't really fill you up. So feed on the manna of God every single day. Fourthly, come every week to the banquet table of the king. That's what this place is. That's really what this whole platform is. It's the banquet table, worship is the place where we come to feed on the magnificent feast of who God is and how he regards us and what he said to us for living. And if you don't get it from the sermon, I know you get it from the music and the prayers. Don't miss it. Do you know that in America today, the average person comes to a worship service 1.7 times a month. Those are the regular attenders. The folks that consider themselves regular, I'm regular because I come 1.7 times a month. You're going to get hungry. You're going to feed in the wrong places if you're not coming to the banquet table of the king. Fifthly, take communion as regularly as you can. Uh, there's something powerful in the sacrament of grace that, that restores us and renews us and prepares us for life. Uh, we celebrate the Sacrament of Communion every single Sunday night at 6 o'clock in our sanctuary. And you're always welcome there. But if you can't make it to that, most importantly it, it is, is make sure your life has in it on a regular basis what that Sacrament of Communion was pointing towards. See, Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to share this, sup this supper with you. As he looked around at this little band of disciples, he said, this is where I find my greatest joy, being with this little band of my, my disciples. Find a little band. Find a, a circle of people, if you don't have one, that you commune with every single week and do life with and study God's word with and pray together and encourage each other. Find that communion regularly. It's going to make a difference. Or, one last idea, ignore everything I'm saying. That's, that's an option too. Just, just go, oh, that wasn't very tasty. I mean, I put in all this time, I came to church, it was not very, it was not very satisfying. He, he, he challenged, he said all these hard things about, he called me a glutton. My gosh. Just, so just ignore it. Turn up your nose. Just keep walking down the boundless buffet. Believe me, you've got other options out there. Feel free to follow your appetite. You could be like those people who on Palm Sunday had Jesus inviting them to his table and chewed momentarily on him and then spat him out and look for something else. You can do that. I just, I just, there's just one warning. If you do, this world can serve you a Cessna with gravy on it.
and we'll try to. But you're still going to be hungry for a bicycle with whipped cream on it before long. Jesus says, come unto me, for I am the bread of life. Would you pray with me? Lord, there are times when your word is uh, hard to hear. And I just feel in my spirit, this is one of those times when I find it hard to hear what you say. But I know that you say it because you love us. And so help us, Lord, to feed upon you that we might be filled up to all of the measure of the fullness of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.